Best of Humble and Fred show is proudly brought to you by Bodog, the Retirement Sherpa, The Chambers Plan, GoDaddy, Aaron Ventures, EVNet.ca, and Kelsey's. Hello, I'm Toronto Mike, producer of Humble and Fred. This best of episode of Humble and Fred is actually an episode of my podcast, Toronto Miked. Freddie P dropped by to kick out the jams. I think Hundy P's will find this particularly interesting because after we catch up, we play and discuss in detail Fred Patterson's 10 favorite songs of all time. Tomorrow, I'll share a Toronto Miked episode in which humble Howard Glassman kicks out the jams. Turn it up, Hundy Peas. So I'm going to let everybody know at home where they can hear everything, everything you wanted to know about Freddie P, but were afraid to ask. That episode is episode 34. So go to 34 to hear the ongoing history of Freddie P. But, Fred, you came in uh, twice with Howard uh, for the 100th episode and the 200th episode. Those are the Humble and Fred spectaculars. Uh, on that note... That's disgusting. <laughs> I, got, I got a bunch of those. You want to hear another one? Nice touch. Want to hear another one? Sure. Humble and Fred, we ain't got no college. You know, that those go right back to... Early 90s, I'd say, if not 89, 90, uh, when we were still... Those were actually recorded, I do believe, in the Brampton facility. Get out of here. On Kennedy Road, no. That's the strip mall? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I got one more since I loaded it up. Let's hear it. Humble and Fred, our wives think we're stupid. (laughs) Yeah, we'll, we'll have to update that one for Howard. But uh, although his ex-wife probably still thinks he's stupid, but that that's uh, that's all good and fine. Funny you mention that because yeah. she's having work done. Their relationship, Howard and his ex-wife Randy, have the best relationship for people of a broken marriage, if I can use that term. Sure. She's having work done on her house this week, so she's moved in with Howard for the week. I would take it one step. Considering I do hear that they they're very very good friends and they oh, yeah. you know have two children together, she should move in permanently. Mm-hmm. Like why not be like you know? No, buddies? he said he'd like to bring that money back together. <laughs> you <laughs> know, reduce the costs, and yeah. then he can retire earlier. And that's ideal. Yeah, the hardest. I mean, there's two hard parts to uh, divorce. I know this from experience. The hardest part about divorce is that you won't have 100% of the time with your children anymore. You have to share custody. That's the hardest part about divorce. The second hardest part about divorce is that it's very expensive. uh, Very, very expensive. So now that Howard's got uh, adult daughters, that's Mm -hmm. sort of the first thing's kind of taking care of itself. But right. The reuniting his money, that uh, would be the ideal situation for them to cohabitate like that. Yeah, that's uh, that's a great idea. Yeah, there's like no animosity. It's like they just decided one day that they should no longer be married. Um, no longer lovers, but still very good friends. It's uh, it's 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 quite moving the whole thing actually. And that's the best way to do it for, yep. for the kids too. That they mm-hmm. see mommy and daddy still respect each other and love each other. They're just not meant to be married to get together. By the way, how long have you been married now? Uh, June 28th, that was 37 years. Good for you, buddy. That's, uh, 
That's a big number, and it's only getting bigger. She yeah. hasn't uh, caught on yet. She's still uh, no. She's still into you. <laughs> no, it's funny. After thirty-seven years, because you look back, and yeah. I don't know anybody that's been married thirty-seven years. Are there times along the way that you think, you know, maybe this isn't the best thing? Am I falling out of love? Have I ever had thoughts of maybe? Could life be different without this person? I've never had those thoughts in 37 years. It's crazy, eh? So what you did is you married you married the right person out of the gate because a lot of us uh, have like starter wives and then we end up with the person we're going to spend the rest of our life with. But you got it right yeah. off the bat, which is awesome. Well, and the, the thing is, Mike, we started going together when we were 17. So a lot of those marriages don't work out for that reason because you really haven't played the field enough or experienced other personalities, but for some reason. But she's a great person. You know what I mean? Oh, she's uh, beautiful for, on the inside and out. Yes, for say. all my flaws and my shortcomings, she just is the opposite. So I think that's why. Now, you're here to kick out the jams, but uh, here, there's a jam I want to kick out for you and ask you a little bit about it. Let's Let's hear this. So this is not one of your jams, but people, when they hear this, will think about you. All right. When there's a bluebird singing by your window pane And the sun shines bright all day through Don't forget, boy, look over your shoulder Cause there's always someone coming after you That's Alan Price, uh, his uh, look over your shoulders so when you, this is the... From, from the soundtrack of Oh Lucky Man. Yes, Oh Lucky Man. That's the uh, Malcolm McDowell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, tell me uh, the origin story. Like, So this is the song, those of us who listen to the Humble and Fred program, that's the song that would introduce uh, the Goo Head bits, Mr. Goo Head. Uh, yeah, so when I came up with that character and was dabbling with it and then did the first episode, which I think was Time Change, if I'm not mistaken... Um, you know, you think about how's it going to be presented on the radio, so it needs an intro. And Delise, my wife, loved that album when we were teenagers, and that song just, you know, look over your shoulder, there's always somebody coming after you. It just seemed to fit, and I and I loved it, and that little piece was just long enough to be an intro, and uh, I don't know, it just it became it, part it, of Goohead, and uh, a lot of people reference that song. It's yeah, well, that's where most of us heard that song of, mm-hmm. of my age. Anyways, we heard that song for the first time. Uh, goo heads. Now that that's actually from a goo head because the uh, alarm clock is added by you guys. Like, there's no alarm clock in the original cut. I right. Think, right. So that that, that would have been. I don't think I added the alarm clock. I think mm-hmm. I I can't even remember. Maybe it was Dan Duran, the pro- producer at the time, added the uh, the alarm clock. Only because it was sort of like a call to action. Oh yeah, no, it worked for and me, the, man. I'm then telling the you, show thing, yeah. Waking up before high school, you know, you're in bed, mm-hmm. you hear the alarm clock and that song, and you're gonna get a goo head. It's just good vibes all around. And now that the most potent drug around is nostalgia, you you are gonna hear from a lot of like forty something year old guys who are gonna oh yeah sing Alan Price to you. Well, I'll tell you something. Yesterday on the Humble and Fred show, yeah, humbleandfredradio.com, Sirius XM, weekday morning, seven a.m. to nine a.m. Um, our guest was Gord Martineau. 
Gord. So people in the Toronto, well, this is Toronto, Mike. This is a Toronto show. Everybody knows who Gord Martineau was. We talk about Gord all the time on this show because Anne Roskowski came on this show and talked some smack about Gord. And I actually reached out to Gord to give him a fair chance to kind of rebut what Anne said. And he kind of like said like he was out of town and stuff. But but you had him you had him in the flesh down the street. Yeah. Yesterday. And see, he was always a Mister Goohead fan. And when he came in yesterday, well, first when I was corresponding about him coming on the show, and he said, "Only if we uh, I can hear a Goohead episode or <laughs> yeah. whatever." Ultimately, we didn't play one. <laughs> but even during the show, during our breaks yesterday, he was talking about Mister Goohead, and I thought that's pretty cool because at the time, yeah. You know, goo heads on the edge, CF and Y. And, you know, when you're doing those things and you're doing a show like that that had such mass appeal, you still don't know individually who's out there listening. And I probably would have never thought that Gord Martineau would be one of those fans, but he was. And Gord, like, he was there. And, and, was, and yeah. was talking smack. Oh, yeah. You, like, in fact, in fact, neg- all, negative stuff? Yeah, big time. Uh, oh. Big time. Uh, in fact, I might. I have a plan to listen to your chat with Gord uh, because I haven't had Gord on this show. But I need. I have questions for Gord falling out of that chat, that long chat with Ann Roskowski, which was like I'm telling you, I've done what 256 of these things. There's none as revealing and interesting as that Ann Roskowski discussion because she didn't. She was out of out of fucks to give is what I would say. And she just put it out there. But she had a lot of negative things to say about Gord. And I'd, I'd love to hear Gord's side of the story. So did Isn't Gord that funny because that yesterday? No, I, and you know what? Odd, and I'm, I wish yeah. I had heard the show because I would have brought that up. We dealt more with Gord's departure from City. Well, what and did how, you say about that? Because uh, well, it, was it was so sudden. Like It, it was just, so, it was so cold. and Yeah, because he said, okay, coming up next, modern, modern family. And then he was gone. And then the press release came out that, you know, thank Gord for his decades of service. Like, right. it was really like a Rogers just like, just cut payroll. It just seemed really b- blunt. And like, it didn't seem planned. There was no cake. There was no farewell Gord like they did for the uh, the weather guy at CTV <laughs> or whatever. Or they did mm-hmm. for, uh, what's the gent's name? Mike Cooper. Mm-hmm. On, like, he got a... No, I know. He know? said it was very cold, very corporate. And uh, we did touch on Ann Murskowski because I said, you know, you two were a team and then all of a sudden you weren't a team and that had to be difficult. And he was quite gracious through that. And he said basically that no one told him there was no lead up. There was no like meeting. Just so you know, Gord, we're letting Ann go. Um, But I wish I had touched on that. Now now that you had the Gord chat yesterday, you need to go back and listen to the Ann chat. I do. Now that I've heard the Ann chat, and I do plan to listen to your Gord chat, interesting. Mm -hmm. Let's just say interesting. For example, here's a little teaser for you. Ann Ruskowski says that for at least a three-year period, Gord wouldn't even say hello to her when the red light was off. So the only time Gord would talk to Ann was when the the on-the-air red light goes on and they're on TV. And... For why? three years. Why? She said she tr- one time she confronted him about it to try to find out why. Like, in, in, in her words, it was like, what did I do wrong, Gord? Like, what right. have I done that's upset you? And he was just very cold and, like, I think I can't remember her exact words, but... He did he not want to share the spotlight? I, I don't know, but, wow. but Anne, you got to hear this because we all think of Anne and Gord as this, you know, the, the duo from City for years. Well, and it's, well, maybe we'll get her on the our show then to... Um, do, yeah, she's a, you'd love her because she shoots from the hip like she doesn't hold back and she just 
tells it like it is. Oh, so all right, all get right, Ann Raskowski right, on, right. and I'll work on Gord because I'm a I'm a Gord fan, and you know I've got one side of the story, but I'd like to hear what Gord has to say about uh, about that. And, and, and Anne even talks about like the discussion she had one chat with Gord after uh, her dis- her dismissal, and Gord was something like it was either. It, it had to be you because my con I, I, I can't remember how he said it, but his contract was so airtight that basically it was either going to be her or him. And it had to be her because of his mm. killer contract or whatever. And they haven't talked since. So you listen to Anne, I'll listen to Gord and we'll uh, meet no. in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very Sounds interesting. Good. Very Sounds interesting good. Toronto stuff. Yeah. By the way, on your show, I've noticed this. I, as you know, I love your show. I was there for the birth and I still listen to your show. I do know that you try, I don't know, you're hesitant to be uh, Toronto-centric. Like, uh, how do I say this? You, you try to be uh, a, can, a national morning show. And what, what, what that, so sometimes I find that you kind of, you, you hesitate to go into the Toronto-centric details of something like a city TV and a Gord, because Gord's a Toronto-famous guy. A GTA famous guy. Right. Well, you did it yesterday, obviously. So you do do it. But I sometimes think, uh, don't worry about the fact that you're being heard in Moose Jaw uh, because you are Toronto famous first. And I'm going to guess the majority of your listeners are GTA, even though you've got people all over the continent. So speak from what you know. Like Howard Stern talks about New York because that's where he lives and that's what he knows. And I don't think anybody in like California is pissed off that he's so New York centric. No, no, no. The thing is when we... Where here's the thing, you're trained as a broadcaster to be mindful of your audience, who's listening, and how do you relate to them? Well, now we have this national, international audience, so to some extent, you have to be mild, mindful of that. We don't mind talking about Toronto, but if we're talking about Toronto specific things, you have to have a mind to who's listening. So, if you're going to talk about those things, like Gord Martineau comes on, okay, outside of Toronto. Not a lot of people would know who he is. You still have him on because he's got a story to tell of being a corporate victim, of being squeezed out, which is relatable to everyone. See, I think you have like, I don't I think you gotta have him on because uh there's a story there that's relevant to you guys who know this market. Like Well, that's what I said. Yeah, I know. Well, I just <laughs> said that. <laughs> I know. I know I said it in a different words, okay. Freddie. I said it in different words. <laughs> but uh I guess uh don't worry about the fact some guy's listening in uh Vancouver. Who cares? Like you guys are uh here and you you know this stuff and you touch this stuff. Like you do talk about the weather a lot. Like you don't worry about the fact that the guy in Vancouver has different weather than you guys. So don't worry about whether mm-hmm. you talk about Toronto radio. We'd love to hear you guys talk about Toronto yeah, radio. Yeah, but see, and, and I don't want to get too into this, but sure. even the weather, the reason yeah. we talk about the weather this summer is because it's been so significant. And it is relatable to other parts of the country, as we were talking about the other day. When the West is having a hot, um, dry summer, we tend to have a, a lousy one like this one. So, listen, you and even the people, like the people at Sirius XM, they don't dictate anything to us. The only thing they might say from time to time is, hey guys, just remember, we're selling subscriptions right across the country, so try to be, a, try to be inclusive as much as you can. And listen... Our default is always Toronto. We do that a lot. Sometimes you've just got to just be mindful of it and maybe, maybe posi- right. position Toronto stories in a relatable mass, uh, a relatable way that people that aren't quite 
familiar with Toronto still can relate to the story. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. thank you for doing the Gord. Uh, mm-hmm. Gord loves Goohead. You got him on, and I'm going to listen. Uh, and we want to hear from Gord because we haven't heard a lot from Gord since that uh, fateful day that Rogers gave him his paper. Well, he's 69 years old. He looks like he's 59. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, rides his bike every day, plays tennis six months a year in Florida at a condo he bought on the beach. So he's got a good life. Oh, yeah. He's good life. He's doing all right. What mm-hmm. about you? So uh, you're now in your 60s. Uh, and I know you hinted at this on your show. Uh, and then Howard said it was kind of a joke, but I'm not sure how much of a joke it is. Like, is there a plan for Freddie P at some point in the near future to retire from broadcasting? Well, we all reach that point. No, there's some no... people die on the air. I know <laughs> there's no plan, but here, yeah. you know, I, we started the show by talking about my relationship with my wife. Yeah, I have a responsibility to her. You know, there are guys, and I and I worked with a couple. You know, one of the guys that I enjoyed working with more than any other manager in the history of CFMY. I mean, he was still there at 70. And I always got the impression that he was a little bit selfish because his wife wanted to go to, I don't want to go to Florida. I don't want to sit around there and do nothing, which I understand. But at the same time, if you're in a relationship and you're, you're that point of your life where you, and I'm not even going to say should be traveling, right? you could be traveling and experiencing things that you couldn't during your working life. You have to consider the other person. So at po- some point, I'm going to be in the position where, yeah, it's time for me and Delise to do a lot of the things that we want to do. Having said that, right. Howard on many occasions has said to me, you know, to keep the brand alive, maybe we can work something out that you can go away for chunks of time and then revisit the show or whatever. And hey, that sounds good to me. Like, for example, I you, you jet off uh, most weekends and during the summer. You can be found at the Tin Palace. That's the affectionate yes. name for the... Uh, yeah. And that's in the Kawarthas? Yes. Yeah. And uh, you might want to be there for, you know, two months in a row, like all of July and August or well, something like that. Well, it's funny you so. say that because I was there last week. I, I, As much as I love it there, after seven, eight days, I sort of get bored. I need to come back and get involved. And that keeps it special, too. Like, if you're there all the time, that becomes the new normal, and then it's like... But if you just go there a few times through the summer, it's uh, a you know real what, getaway. Mike, Mike yeah. people often say that the best part of a cottage or having a tin palace, one of the greatest... Uh, one of the one of the best parts is not being there, if you, if you know what I mean, the anticipation right. of getting back yeah. there. Yeah. It, just uh, speaking to what you just said... And that's what it's like. It's like, you know, I came back last Friday after being there for about eight days. Mm-hmm. And that was enough. And I came home and I had stuff to do around the house. And I knew I was going to come back and do the show for a few more days. And that was inspiring. And now uh, I'm ready to go back. So tomorrow after the show, I'm going to head back for a few days. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the topic of the show, another one more question. And we are going to kick out the jam soon. But uh, Phil Phil Hong is your now longtime uh, producer. Because yeah. He was there, I'm going to guess, like a month after you started or something. He walked mm-hmm. through that door really early because I was there that day when he showed up and Howard had that big smile on his face. So Phil has been with you guys for, I'm going to say, that's like almost six years, I'm going to say. And he is in love with a woman in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. And he's currently in Cambodia visiting this love of his life. Uh, semi-arranged marriage. Uh, I'm not sure the particular... Arranged in a way, but not forced to marry. Yes. But anyway, uh, so it's kind of uh, one of those... And uh, are you worried about losing Phil to Cambodia? Like, what if Phil ends up moving there? Uh, do you have a contingency plan to replace Phil Hong should he end up in Cambodia? Uh, no. But 
am I afraid of losing him? No. And I, I look at it this way, you know, in broadcasting. Yeah. I can only speak to broadcasting people. This may apply to any other industry. When young people enter it, if you've got any brains or sense about you, you want to see them move on. You want to see them ascend in the business. So, I mean, that's my attitude with Phil Hong. As much as I love him and as much as he's a great big part of the show, nothing better would be to have him come in and say, guys, I just got an offer to do this at twice or three times the money you guys can pay us, or it's a great opportunity for my future, or I, I, they've got a great pension plan, or there's, it's a, it's a lot more secure. I would love that. I think it would be the greatest You'd thing. You'd be happy for him. Not only, because, you know, I look at Jason Barr, Danger Boy, same thing. Yeah, it was awful to not have him part of the show anymore, but he was off on his own. He was Bob Willette. Uh, Jeff Demet, who now produces, uh, you know, NHL Network for Sirius XM. It's like all these guys. It's you're not afraid. You just feel good about it. It's like you've actually had a hand in them creating a career that's going to provide them a living. Uh, yeah, same thing would apply with, uh, with Phil Hong. And in my humble opinion, there are really uh, when it, the Humble and Fred Empire has two irreplaceable parts to it and their names are uh, Humble and Fred. So uh, Phil moves on. You'd be happy for him if he moves to Cambodia and you'd Mm -hmm. you'd find somebody else. I'd actually, I'd I'd step in on a part-time basis if you need help. Mm -hmm. You know, I know how, I know where all the pieces are and how they fit together. So if Phil, Phil stays in Cambodia, give me a call. I'll help you out. Uh, Fred, last time you were on the show, episode 200, you made a remark that you don't listen to podcasts. And I'm just curious if that's still the case. Like, do you still like, uh, not listen to podcasts? Yeah, I can. All, honestly, no, not really. I want I'll, I'll, he- I'll hear about podcasts and then listen to get a feel for it. I might listen to a whole episode, but do I have podcasts that I listen to on a regular basis? No, I do not. For whatever reason. I just, you know... But here you are. Do I have it is time interesting because in you're like a, a, po- a pioneer in the podcasting field. It is interesting that you don't actually listen to podcasts yourself. But Mike, I worked for, I worked at, I worked in terrestrial radio for 25 years and never listened to the FM band. I, I if I listened, it might be I might listen to CFNY for a couple hours a day, but. Honestly, I didn't. I I was always a news, information, sports junkie. It's even now. The FM band on my radio, I, it's never on. I'm listening to 680 News or five or this uh, Fan 590 or my Sirius for music. Um, the point being, I like I worked in FM rock radio for years and years and years and never really listened to it. But you are. I don't know what the connection is there. Just uh, what, what are you? What how are you do you know? At? Like, how do you know what's happening in the field of podcasting if you don't listen? I can like, read about it. Okay, I could probably read and learn more than listening to them. But you are listen, gonna, you are going to va- listen to the Anne Ruskowski. Uh, yeah, but you know the vast majority of podcasts stink. Like the overwhelming. There's great. Oh, in percentages, yes, but oh, like yeah. the ones that float to the top, uh, they're so yes. well produced now. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you know, they're just they're better than radio, if you will. Like I just think oh, there are some uh, podcasts that I think you'd actually uh, enjoy. But you know, to each his own. And that wasn't mm-hmm. so much a judgment. Just wondering if one of the po- one of the Canadian podcasting pioneers uh, had delved into the world of podcasts yet. 
but uh, no, but that's okay. I still, yeah, I still love I, you, man. Yeah, it's uh, you know, if there was one that. Listen, I, yeah. I love Howard Stern, but I might listen to it two or three times a month, maybe, on my way home. So, There's I a, don't know. I, I mean, I'm just unique. You know, I'm... I, uh, to each his own. Yeah. You know, whatever floats your boat, as I say. So, mm-hmm. one last uh, tough question on what floats your boat, but this one comes from an anonymous fan who wants to know uh, if that's really how you feel about Toronto FC's Sebastian Jovinko. Uh, you made some Twitter comments about Sebastian Jovinko. I've been working on pronouncing that yeah. last name too. Mm-hmm. Jovinko. Uh, for the record, right now, before we kick out the jams, can you give us your thoughts on TFC versus Argos and the oh, TFC superstar Jesus. Sebastian Jovinko? Just briefly, for the record, go. Yeah. Here's the thing though, about Jovinko when he blamed the Argonauts for his injury. I thought he was, you know, and it was just sour grapes because they blew that last game, the championship game last year. And then he was saying he blamed the Argos for them ripping up the field. I thought, you big suck, baby. And I thought during that game, him leaving, I thought, boy, he's leaving this game pretty quickly. Anyway, all that stuff. Right, because he had the injury. That's Yeah, and I just find the whole thing frustrating. Listen, I don't really even care that much. The Toronto Argonauts are their own worst enemy. The Canadian Football League's their own worst enemy. I get all that. It just it, it 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 gets back to this for me. It's subjective, like the music we're about to play. Right, and you there like is, football, there, there but you don't m- like soccer. Right, there is more excitement in a in a in an Argonaut quarter to me. Yeah, than six F T F C games. People go to T F C games. Most of them aren't even watching what's going on the field. It's a party in the stands. And you know what? If you can capture that and you can create that, all the power to you. I think it's fantastic. I wish the Argonauts could do that. You know, that's you know that's lightning in a bottle stuff or whatever the terminology will but, be. But Fred, if I could uh, mm-hmm. get a ticket for you and I to go to the supporters section, which is where I love to watch the matches, uh, and would would you go to a TFC match to see what all the fuss is about if I presented to you a free ticket? Absolutely. And I would go and I would say, I see what the fuss is about. This is a lot of fun. But that stuff going on down on the field uh-huh. there? Last game was 4 nothing. Okay, though, I know, well, but super, you're right. Super. I hear what you're saying. That, a lot of people don't that like That thing talking. going on down on the field <laughs> yeah, there? Yeah. And, and listen, and I'm, yeah. if you like it, all the power to you. And obviously, <laughs> a lot of people do. But what's going on down on the field there, when most of the time those guys are walking up and down the field, and I get this about great shape and they running They really at, do run a lot in a match. Like That argument, I don't think, carries a lot of water. But fine. Yeah. But You're a lot of times people. they're walking. You ever too. see a fat soccer player? No. <laughs> okay, let, but, but we're what I'm, about, I'm yeah. saying to me, yeah. and what's going on this year with the Argonauts, and they're three and three, and Ricky Ray is setting all these records, and there's a lot of the great things going on, but people care. There's not enough fun in the stands. The Argonauts have not created an atmosphere, and part of that is they're continuously compared to the National Football League, and you can't win that battle. But listen, here's yeah. another thing, Mike. Yeah. People yeah. can say they don't go to hockey or baseball's boring and it flies under the radar. What is this thing where you can't say you don't like soccer? No, and of it course becomes... you can say you don't like soccer. Of course you can say you don't like soccer. I don't. I actually don't particularly like football, and I'm not afraid to say it, and I, I say it exactly. often. Exactly. But are, I don't judge people, people who are fanatical attack? about football. Yeah. I feel like you, in my opinion, maybe you've decided to not dislike, what's the term, but you've... You've painted all TFC fans with a certain brush where, yeah. uh, because you don't like soccer yourself. 
They're having no, a fun no, time no, no, over no, no. there. There's, You're wrong. Okay. That's why I wanted to put this on the record now. Okay. Because tweets, do you know how tweets are? You get, you get what is it, 120 characters? I don't, care for, I don't care for soccer. Right. It's not my first choice, just like people don't care for baseball. Right. I was with a guy a couple of nights ago. He said, I don't get this Blue Jay thing. I was sitting watching a game. He said, I don't Fine. Super. Right. One I don't like is the same reason I don't like the. Most of the reason I don't like the Montreal Canadiens is because of their fans. A big reason I don't like TFC is because of the fans. Because it was the TFC fans that took it on themselves, especially when it was announced the Argonauts would go in that stadium. This is true. I witnessed this. That they started pissing all over the Argonauts and the Canadian Football League. That's what turned me off. I hear you. I just wish that the Argos fans had responded by actually going to the games at BMO Field. Because the numbers don't lie. I just wish that they could say, hey, we had 20,000 at that game. Like That's what I wish happened. Yeah, and I don't think it's ever going to happen again, unfortunately. Well, here's something you don't dislike. I know you enjoy a uh, cold alcoholic beverage on a warm uh, summer night. You enjoy your beer. And yes. I know Humble and Fred have a beer sponsor. Yes. That you love. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a man cannot live on bread alone, if you will. You need uh, a variety of beers are good for Freddie P's diet. Mm-hmm. So you're going to take home with you a six-pack of Great Lakes beer. Yeah. I think, because Howard stopped drinking, right? He's, There's only uh, five in here. I'm going to get you a six. Oh. I, I just got the box delivered yeah. uh, yesterday. Okay. Uh, but Howard stopped drinking, right? Yes, he He's did. He's still alcohol-free. So yes. last time you were here, I saw you walked away with both six-packs. Yes, I did. Did you enjoy them? Absolutely. So I'm going to get you six of those. I uh, love these IPAs. These, Yeah, they, they do a good job. And they're not far from here. They're a very local craft brewery, and they're good people. You know, these uh, Ontario craft beers are just outstanding. It's uh, true. Yeah, there's a number of great craft uh, craft breweries now mm-hmm. in, uh, in Ontario. By the way, Barry Pletch, I want to say hi to Barry. Barry used to coach my daughter in soccer, but now he works at Great Lakes Brewery, and he wanted me to ask you how much his Humble and Fred share is worth these days. How much, if he's got some Humble and Fred shares, what are they worth these days? What they were worth the day he got it. Uh, the paper they're printed on? The paper they're printed on, yes. All right, Barry, there's your answer. He's kind of was hoping he could retire on it, but no. You know, that's interesting. That Humble and Fred share idea was a great idea. I think it was Howard's, if I'm not mistaken. Just the whole idea of it, you know. And well, in a nutshell, people remind st- us. People still references. It, it's just, you know, you, you get... You, 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 yeah, you got shares of Humble and Fred. So you yeah, like we that. actually sent you a document that said you had a share of the Humble and Fred show. You know, you, know, you were part of the posse, so to speak. What a term that is. But you were part of the group that... You were in the club. You were in the club. You were like 100% or you were like, uh, you know, the... The people that just love the show. So and 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 we actually issued these shares and tons of people wanted them and they're still referenced twenty five years later. Yeah, a lot of guys still have their shares. I think that's very, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Uh by the way, when you're drinking this beer, you uh you do you drink from the can or do you pour it into a glass? I drink from the can. Okay. Uh, should you want to class it up a bit uh, and drink from a glass, uh, you're also taking home with you a brand new pint glass, a lovely pint glass. Mm-hmm. That's courtesy of uh, Brian Gerstein at propertyinthesix.com. Oh, nice. Call Brian at 416-873-0292 if you're planning to buy and or sell in the next six months. Just by meeting Brian and having a conversation with him, he'll give you 
a property in the six pint glass like Freddie P just received. And he'll give you a six pack of Great Lakes beer to go along with it. So don't delay. Call Brian today at 416-873-0292 and get that pint glass and uh, six pack and uh, lean on Brian's expertise because Brian Gerstein is a real estate sales representative with PSR Brokerage. So add that to your collection, Freddie P. And now, before we kick out the jams, there's one more jam I need to ask you about. Wow, this is going to be a long intro. But I need, while you're here sitting here, I'm going to play a little jam here, and I want to hear the story briefly, if you don't mind. And I'm sure we talked about this in a previous Freddie P episode, but we're kicking out jams today, so I thought I'd start with Snow Removal Machine. Do you remember the details of uh, how this came about? Because I'm sure you're hearing people reference this all the time as well, especially when there's a snowstorm, right? I'm thinking when it's a snowy day, yeah. people are going to remember this jam. Check this one. Hooked under my tree. This, um... And it was there. Uh-huh. This predates the Humble and Fred show. Good vocals, by the way. Lock up your women and your children, too. I'm on my way to heaven with my snow. snow removal. Freddy's got a snow, snow removal. And who's doing the backup vocals there? That would have been, uh, I know, Freddy's Leslie Cross, who worked in the machine. office. and uh, Oh, you know. Is it, Captain Phil in there? Probably Captain Phil. Oh, yeah. Darren Wozelik, who was the promotions guy at the time. You know, there's a long version where there's talking in the middle and everything. It's a great jam, man. And these vocals, they don't, they're don't they not at all goo-headish or like no. they're, uh, you're using a different octave or whatever in your this, vocal. This is actually before goo-head. So were you on the Pete and Geach show when this was done? No. Po- post Steve Pete? Anthony. Okay, so you're post-Pete and Geach's pre- Howard coming from Montreal. What happened is I used to sing along with stuff. And sometimes on the Pete and Geach show, I would sing goofy little songs. So the guys in production used to get me to do a lot of goofy little things. And then we used to have the Pete and Geach Santa Claus parties. or the Yeah, it's Pete and Geach's Christmas parties. So Darren Wozlick at the time was the promotion guy. He used to love it when I'd sing stuff. So he came in one day and he said, "Hey, I've got an idea for the for Pete and Eats Christmas. If you know, so you can perform because we get up and all sing." And it love removal machine by the cult at the time. I get it was a current song, I guess at the time. Eighty nine or eighty? I don't know because I was in high school. 87, so 86, 87. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Like that song's thirty years old now. So it's a great track. Um, so he wrote it, and t- to be honest with you, Mike, when he wrote that song, I really wasn't familiar with Love Removal Machine. So I had to listen to it a few times. And then I remember the night I went back to the station. I didn't live far from the station. We recorded it. And Darren, who had who had written it, was very frustrated because I was struggling with it. Believe it or not, we had to stop and redo lines and lines. And But anyway, it was created. And then we aired it on 
the Pete and Geach show, or on um, Stephen, Stephen, you. Yeah, Stephen no, I'm getting my Freddy. timeline mixed up. Yeah, I, I'm uh, contradic- contradicting myself. Right. So this was after Pete and Geach. I had done a few things on the Pete and Geach show, right? right. But because I, I would also, I would sing this, and I would sing "Santa Claus is Coming to Town" by Bruce Springsteen too at the Christmas parties. Whatever it is, I'm sorry, it's 30 years ago. So whatever that timeline was, we played the song. I think it was on Anthony's show then. Or maybe Pete and Geats. I don't know. Anyway, everybody loved it. Late 80s. Well, Pete and Geats were there in 87, and Steve Anthony started in 87. So, you know, it's one fall melts into the other. Right. So um, the the listeners loved it. And then we, I went to the Christmas party and performed it live, and people loved it even more. So for years and years after that, soon the first snowfall, the lights would ring up any day part on CFNY, and people would ask for that song. I want to hear it on your podcast, the first snowfall we get, whatever, in December. I Mm -hmm. want to hear some uh, snow removal machine. Okay, Matt. Fred, are you ready to kick out the jams? Yeah. There are places I remember The Beatles in my life. Not only is this a beautiful song, and the words are so amazing, what's always blown me away about this song, John Lennon wrote this when he was 24 years old. How do you listen to this song, appreciate the words, and then imagine it come out of a 24-year-old? It just... It lets you appreciate how much life these guys lived in their early 20s. You know, because they became unbelievably successful and popular. And I guess in some way, it aged them a lot. And then if you look at Lennon's history as a child, his mother and all that stuff, it all starts to make sense. But um, I've always loved this song. It's To me, it's, a mo- it's a, like a showstopper. Whenever I hear this song start being on the radio or whatever, I just get this weird feeling. I just love it so much. And it and I never get tired of it. And the older I get, the more it means to me because in my life you know, when you listen, when you're sixty years old and you're into starting you're becoming a senior citizen, there's a lot of reflection and this song just enhances that. I get unreasonably angry when I see these lists of the greatest Beatles songs of all time. If it doesn't have in my life in the top ten, I almost want to throw it out. Like, what is wrong with this yeah, list? That's a. I know it's subjective. It's I subjective. Know. It's just and like there's so this. many great Beatles songs, but that is definitely, in my opinion, one of the greatest Beatles tracks. You know, we're gonna do this segment. No matter who does this segment, what are we calling it? Kick up the kick jam? out the jam. Kick out the jam. <laughs> There are going to be people that listen to this and say, hey, that was pretty cool. I, I like Fred's songs. And then others will, holy, what, what's that all about? What a shitty taste in music. So, 
you don't can't, do that, you people. Can't, you can't win with this stuff. So. Uh, but what we love is we love mm-hmm. hearing your songs, Freddie P's subjective taste, his songs, mm-hmm. and why he loves it. So it's it's really I love the premise of this series because I don't mm-hmm. if I don't like that song, that's fine. I love that you love that song, and I want to hear why. And it could be an education. I mean, you may have never really thought about a song in a certain way, but once you hear somebody explain it or say why it inspires them, then maybe you'll start to like it for the similar reasons. Let's hear Freddie P's second jam. Crowded house. Don't dream it's over. You talk about a beautiful song. Now, I said that about in my life, but this is a beautiful song. And you know what this song is? It's timeless, much like in my life. This song could be released today, and it would it would hit the road. It would hit the, uh, what do they say? The charts? Yeah, <laughs> hit the, hit, hit the road go, running. It would go viral. Beautiful song. And it's probably, you know, I worked at, you know, I was at CFNY from 78 to 2001. This was released in what, 87, 86? So this song is 30 years old. This probably is my favorite new rock song of all time. And again, as you can probably, you'll tell through this, I'm not, I don't like strident rock, I don't like heavy metal. You don't, like, like, you don't I, like Led Zeppelin. Yeah, I I don't care for them. I like melodic, vocal, lyrical music. And this song, it's the same thing. It's just I love it so much, I, can, I can't get tired of it. It's a song I want to share with my kids or anybody that isn't familiar with, with certain types of music. And it's funny, you know, a lot of people with this song, it's like, what's it about? And it's hard to explain songs sometimes, right? But Neil Finn, who wrote it, says it was uh, just about, uh, on the one hand, feeling kind and lost, and the kind of lost, and on the other hand, sort of urging myself on, don't dream it's over. And can't we all relate to that? Absolutely. At certain points in our life. Always always love this song as well, Freddie. This is a great, great track. These are brothers, right? These are the the Finn brothers? Yeah, Neil and Tim. And 
when I think of a song like this, and this can apply to so many as well, he sat down one day and had an idea and produced this. And as I said, 31 years later, we're sitting listening to it, enjoying it. And that's pretty big impact, you know, when you pin something that has the legs that this did and the, and the popularity. Loved it. Love it. Very nice. Let's hear another Freddie P. Jam. Hours go shorter as the days go by. We never get to stop and open our eyes. One minute you're waiting for the sky to fall, and next you're dazzled by the beauty of it all. Lovers in a dangerous time. Fair naked ladies, lovers in a dangerous time. Of course, this is a Bruce Coburn song. And I think there was at some anniversary of Coburn's career or something, there there was a compilation they got. Exactly. They got all sorts of Canadian artists to pick one of his songs and do it. And I always loved the original by Coburn. I just always found it quite moving. But when I heard this version, and I almost feel dirty doing this, but I like this version better. I mean, I was always a Bare Naked Ladies fan and got to know them. But it's just done so well. And uh, one of my favorite lines in the history of music is in this line. And I, I'm going to let you say it, but I know exactly what the line is because it's one of my favorite lines. Is it really? Music, I swear to you. Yeah. And I drop it all the time. I'll even tweet it occasionally. No, but it's, it's so, again, inspirational and simple, but it can apply to us all. Got to kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. And I believe the compilation that this is on is mm-hmm. called Kick at the Darkness. Like, I oh, think that's it? what they named the oh, album. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That is one of the great lines here. Absolutely. Kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. Exceptional. By the way, I was going to ask you, you're a Scarborough guy, right? You were raised yes. in Scarborough? Did you ever see the uh, video for this uh, song and like much music? Yeah, it's like on a, on a just a regular street of Scarborough bungalows. And that's another thing that I always found about these guys that I loved was that Scarborough connection. It's... You know, I just read Mike Myers' book and his references to Scarborough. And when you grow up there, and it's it's so much different now, but... There it was. Yeah, it's all there, Scarborough, right? What song is it that ends with uh, Birchmouth Stadium, Home of the Robbie? That's uh, one of those Bare Naked Lady songs. Listen, I'm losing my mind. <laughs> I could have named that song. Uh, but as a, a guy who was, you know, on a morning show on 102.1 in the early 90s, you were really right there for the explosion when that yellow tape comes out. Oh, like, yeah. I mean, as a CFNY listener in the early 90s, 
you played the Bare Naked Ladies like early and often, including that uh, McDonald's Girl cover. Like, oh yeah, that, it was all I heard it all in 102.1. Yeah, and this one included. It, you were right there. Yeah, and I loved it. That you know that was a great thing about the radio station. I mean, CFNY played these guys long before anybody else does. Definitely. And you know that yellow tape produced the grant from CFNY that led to the creation of Gordon, which, as far as I'm concerned, in my collection, is one of the favorite, my favorite records of all time. It still is. I mean, I don't listen to it often, but when I hear it or throw it on, it's like, it's just a great, great <laughs> record. It, it is, and they're so, like, they're so Toronto that the yeah. most of us saw them for the first time playing Yoko Ono, Be My Yoko Ono on Speaker's Corner. Mm-hmm. Like, this is... And I can still see like um, the the big sweater he's wearing. Uh, one thing that saddens me today, though, is that when you you know when you hear Bare Naked Ladies today, it really is it misses Stephen Page's contribution. Like they were such a good team. I'm and, almost wondering whether they should have rebranded because the minute you hear Bare Naked Ladies, anybody that was a fan immediately thinks of No Steve, and there's something hollow there. I mean that was a very tough situation. Well, it's because I think the problem that. with that was that uh, Bare Naked Ladies had this Disney thing going on with this like children's album at the same time. Like it was just a perfect storm of like we can't have this right. tainting that, and it just it all kind of explodes and then there's a fallout. But you know, Tyler was on our show not long ago. Did you? One of the most intriguing Bare Naked Ladies stories was, and I forget what the year was, but um, Tyler was up at his cottage, which he can easily afford. And he got a call, I think, one day from Ed saying, listen, we got to come down and record this thing. And he said, what? And he said, oh, it's a TV show down in the States. Um, the guy is producing it. Again, I big name producer. Forget his name. Listen. Yeah, the uh, two men in a... No, no. Th- but that's the guy. Like, Oh, okay. I can't remember his name either, but he also did that uh, three, three, two and a half men. Was yeah, his, two and a half men. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Chuck something. Oh, yeah, anyway. Whatever. <laughs> wants us to do that. And Tyler said, really, do I have to? Like, is there any potential here? What, like, what's the big deal? And Ed said, please come down and just do this thing. So he thought, oh, shit. So he leaves his cottage and he goes down and they record this thing for Big Bang Theory. And the rest is here. I still think it's the theme. It absolutely is the theme. That that alone has made all of the millionaires. That alone. Absolutely. Yeah, that's uh absolutely that's one of those shows that uh, is inexplicably popular. Like I always hear how it's the most mm-hmm. popular comedy on the continent and I think I lasted 4 minutes in one episode and I'm like this yeah. is not for me. I I'm not interested. But it is inexplicably popular. And that uh, yeah, they're making a mint cuz they have that theme song from yeah, day and, 1. And you um and, you know, they, they were of an era where you didn't just sell something off and walk away from it. You, you know, there's residuals. But, um, again, the producer of that show, and, again, you know, it's just one of those situations. Happened to be somewhere in L.A. one night when they were playing, had an idea for this show. They're putting it all together. They're formulating, oh, okay, what about the theme? Hey, I saw that band, you know, Bare Naked Ladies. They'd probably be good for this. And Amazing. As I say, it's made them all stinking rich. Worth coming uh, back from the cottage for. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. All right, Freddie P., let's hear another one of your jams. It's not time to make a change. 
Just relax, take it easy. You're still young, that's your fault. There's so much you have to know. Find a girl, settle down. If you want, you can marry. Look at me. I am old, but I'm happy. I was once like you are now, and I know that it's not easy to be calm when you found something going on. Take your time, think a lot. Why think of everything you've got? For you will still be here tomorrow, but your dreams may not. How can I try to explain? When I do, he turns away again. It's always been the same. Same old story. From the moment I could talk, I was ordered to listen. Now there's a way, and I know that I have to go away. Freddie, I don't even want to fade this down. This is beautiful. This is Cat Stevens' father and son. I find I've always found this song haunting. The first time I heard it i loved it again just because of you know the melody and then you get into the words and then you think of you and your father and listen to what it's about it and then you become a father and you know i've played this for my son and you know it's just basically a conversation between a father and a son and again listen to the words and you appreciate what it's all about you know and cat stevens I went through this phase, late 60s, early 70s, when I really started becoming aware of music. And at the time, T for the Tillerman, which the song was on, it was released the late 60s, 1970, whatever. Um, I just loved it. I loved Neil Young. I loved James Taylor. I loved Cat Stevens. Again, I was never a songwriter. Like uh, yeah, I was never yeah. a big rock guy. I just, I just wasn't. And. Um, this is another one of those songs that I've just never been able to let go of. Whenever I do a compilation on my on my iPod and stuff, this is always, you know, I I have this thing and it's called my it's called my um, campfire compilation or sure my camp for just campfire. And whenever I update it every year, this song stays because I'm telling you, Mike, eleven o'clock at night. Fire burning up north, stars in the sky, beer in your hand. This song comes on, it's like, wow. Crazy shit, brother. Is your first thought now when you hear this song, is your first thought about your 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 dad or is it about your son? Or does it all bleed together? Yeah. No, I w- probably about my son now because even though we have a fabulous relationship, it's funny, you know. There's always that sort of generation gap where you give advice or you have an opinion that no matter how strong your relationship is, it's just, it's not always going to uh, connect. So yeah, I, yeah, I probably my son now. Beautiful. Let's hear another Freddie P. Jam. (laughs) 
Stevie Wonder, Isn't She Lovely? This song has a huge CFNY connection. It would have been September 25th, 1982. My daughter Melanie had been born on the 24th, the night before or the day before. I came in the next morning onto the Pete and Geach show and Kevin O'Leary, the producer, got this ready and I sat down and Pete and Geach congratulated me on becoming a father for the first time. I was only 20. How old was I? 20, not even 26 years old. Um, and they played this song. Now, people would think on CFNY, the breaking format. Well, no, that was the wonderful thing about CFNY. You could play anything as long as you could explain it. Just think how fabulous that was. You, you can't even digest that today. Like that's can, un- you, un- can't. you can't. There's, no one's playing their own music anymore. And, it, and that was David Marsden's thing. It's like, I don't care what you play. That's what we're all about. Just, you know, be able to explain it. There's got to be a reason for it. So, again, you listen to the words of this song, and it, this was about Stevie Wonder's daughter having been born just a couple of years previous. And he wrote this song. And I'll just never forget that morning sitting in and being a new father and having these guys that I so deeply respected, Pete and Geats, congratulating me. At the time, not full, really appreciating the full impact of what a, becoming a father meant because I was a kid. You know what I mean? Sometimes you were, it, you were 26 when you're first born. Well, right? 82. I would have been. I hadn't turned. Yeah, I guess 26. Okay, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, can re- I was yeah. 27 when my son was born, so I can relate. Yeah, it just it just hits. You're like, okay, I now am like responsible for this human being and their you know growth mm-hmm. and maturity and making them you know productive and responsible citizens of this world. Like that's on me now. But you know what I've noticed now, Mike? People are having kids later. Definitely. And the yeah. older you are, when you have them, the more you appreciate the responsibility so it makes it scarier I was just a dumb kid at 26 <laughs> I didn't fully appreciate what <laughs> it was almost like getting a new dog or something hey yeah a new member you of the family you didn't know any better yeah didn't know any better and I think these people now that are 36, 37 when they're having kids they've got another 10 or 12 years of fear to draw from and it's like they're they're freaked out <laughs> um, that's true but again I love this song and I've explained the reason why. And one of the regrets I have over the years is Stevie Wonder mm-hmm. and Michael Jackson that I didn't listen to, to more of them and appreciate them more at the time. Especially Michael Jackson. Yeah, Michael Jackson is true. While he was huge, he was almost too big to appreciate because he's like, this is a pop megastar and that's happening over here and I'm not a pop guy. That's right. So, and then it's like when he's gone, you go back and go like, what a what a brilliant genius oh. musician this guy was. Like when I hear the beginning of Billy Jean, it's like Or even Thriller. I mean that whole thriller thing was just at the time. Well that I, whole thriller album. I, yeah, I, I ignored it. Now I could <laughs> I love it. It's I think it was crazy. Just too big for you. Like it was like yeah. sometimes things are so big. I'm with that like now with Game of Thrones, okay? Mm-hmm. Game of Thrones is just this huge thing that looms. I can't even get into that right now. Like you guys all enjoy that, and maybe no, like don't. in another decade or yeah. two, I'll think about diving in. But it's too big yeah, for no, me now. No, I, I don't. I haven't. Well, you and I are the only two. That yeah, I haven't think. gotten into it. I, I just don't have time to. I can't invest that much time in that stuff. But, but, but yeah, uh, that, yeah. I mean, that's a great analogy with Michael Jackson. It's just, I just so enjoy his stuff now after he's dead. It's just a shame. And Steve, and you know this album that this is from 
Songs in the Key of Life. Fabulous record. But at the time, I liked this song because it meant something to me because of Pete and Geats. But right. I never really embraced the whole Stevie Wonder thing the way I should have. So. I like that your previous song, uh, Cat Stevens' Father and Son, makes you think of your boy. <laughs> and Isn't She Lovely by Stevie Wonder for your girl. It's uh, yes. nice symmetry there. I like that. Yeah, Stevie Wonder. He's still uh, he still tours, right? Yeah. Have you, From you, what I understand, you, you, you haven't seen nope. him live. No, nope. I'd love to. We could still. Uh, there's still time. We need to do it. <laughs> we need to do it while he's still out there uh, performing. Did you have? You didn't have this on eight track by any chance. This is one of those song uh, albums I always That's think it. of eight tracks. Um, um, no, to tell you the truth, Mike, I don't even think I ever owned the album. Like, my brother-in-law, Clyde, was a big Stevie Wonder fan, and I used to bug him about it all the time. You know, like he was, there was something wrong with that. Weird. Well, it's funny, because Michael mm-hmm. Jackson and Stevie Wonder, the two guys you're lumping together, were both child stars, essentially, because they were both yeah. massive, well, Michael really young, but Stevie Wonder, with Fingertips Part 2 or whatever, mm-hmm. like that, he was like 15 years old mm-hmm. or something when that was a huge hit. So. You know, Marvin Gaye, Isaac Hayes, same thing. Like, now I just love this music. At the time, it was just something that was out there. You're late to the funk. Oh, uh, better slightly. late than ever. Slightly. Better than disco, okay? Funk. I always feel funk and disco kind of kind of at the same time, kind of brewing. And, and like, disco wins out, I feel. But I feel funk, that's that's where the uh, longevity is, the good stuff. Is you know, funk. my first... The first time I ever uttered words on the radio was on uh, in Brampton at uh, it was called Seven Nine O Disco. Oh my God! It was the AM station. You know who was just here? Who was your Larry, morning man? Larry, Larry Fedor. Last yeah. week, and we talked at great lengths. I mentioned that you were his. Uh, you read the sports on that I, show. Yeah, I did. Well, some news and sports on Larry. Yeah, he did the morning show. And That's I, where I Larry and I met. I'm glad you brought this up real <laughs> briefly. So, Seven Nine O Disco. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happened to 790 as a frequency? There's no 790 now. No, it became... Um, it always had a problem because there was 740. CBC Toronto was 740. So 790, they really had to watch the pattern so it didn't bleed into this national, what they called... Uh, uh, there was a term for radio stations that didn't... The, the, they didn't have to control the pattern. And 740, because it was CBC, was one of those. But right. anything around it, they, you had to be, you, did, you, can, you couldn't screw with it. So it wasn't a very good frequency. But it was 790 Disco, and then they went from that to CKMW, which stood for CK Metro West. And they tried to turn it into a local Western Toronto AM information music station. But it never really flew. And then it became 790 Chow. It became an Italian radio station. Okay, yeah. And yeah. now it's 5.30. He had the opportunity to change frequencies from 7.90 to 5.30. Um, the guy who purchased it and did that. So 7.90 just ceased to uh, okay. exist. Because I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't know much about 7.90 Disco, but Larry was here. We had a great chat. We talked about you. And I learned a little bit about uh, 790 Disco. So, you, sorry, you were saying uh, the first words you ever uttered, and then I think I interrupted you. It was on 790 Disco. It was on that frequency. It was a disco radio station. It was 24 hours a day. And this was an AM radio station that had six jocks a day. You know, that's the way radio used to be. Every four hours, there was a new jock right around the clock all night long. And that's what it was. They played 24 hours a day disco music. Larry was the morning guy. And I did uh, the sports. Mike Stafford did the news. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And then uh, you guys ended up on uh, CFNY yeah. uh, shortly thereafter, I would guess. 
All right, my friend, let's kick out another jam. John Lennon's Imagine. Do you have phone capability here? Yep. <laughs> I'm not asking you to, <laughs> but if you phoned, speaking of my kids, if you phoned either one of them and said, Danny or Mel, what's the greatest song ever written? They would say, oh, you've been talking to my dad. Because <laughs> I drilled this into their heads over the years whenever the song would come on. And maybe I should have ended with this song, but I do believe this is the greatest song ever written. Just the words are just so profound, yet so simple. And it's just so powerful. Freddie, in your opinion, which Beatle had the best post-Beatles career? Like, who had the best, which of these guys had the best tunes post-Beatles? That's a tough one. That, um, Mike, that's a tough one because McCartney and the Wings days, like one of my favorite post-Beatle albums was uh, Ram by Paul McCartney. Just loved that album. But I think, as far as depth goes, Lennon sort of nailed it. You know, Paul went sort of poppy, but I I love them both. It's just this song is just, it's just my favorite. It's just, I just love it so much. I mean, it's so simple, and it says so much. And if the world could subscribe to what he talks about in this song, I mean, especially imagine no religion. I mean, you know, I'm... That's the line to me. That Yes. That line is so important. Uh, and that's where you start to think, like, can you imagine? Like, just stop and imagine that's there's right. no religion in this world. And How much better the, the world would be. Wow. Yeah. No hell below us, above us only sky. Like, I mean, yeah. It, I, 
It's fantastic. You know, a, a quick little story here. Yeah. I, uh, when I was in Peterborough as uh, the program director of the Wolf, <laughs> um, I got to know Ronnie Hawkins and I went to his house a couple of times. And I would sit there on his couch. He'd smoke a reefer, not me because I was working, um, and tell all these stories. And I asked him, of course, I'm a big Beatle fan and John Lennon fan, and I had asked him about John Lennon, and he told a couple of stories about Lennon was at his house in Mississauga once and really didn't have the concept of paying for things because he was rich, and right. so you just did things, and they were... Anyway, he ran up this huge phone bill on Ronnie that was never... He was never really compensated for. But anyway, he was telling me, too, at, he... I think the story went... He One time he went to... to New York and went to visit Lennon and Lennon called him into a room or said and said something oh I'm working on this song and he played the first few keys of Imagine and Hawkins thought oh yeah that's, uh, yeah, that's pretty cool there's potential there I don't really know what it's all about but yeah that's pretty good John anyway it became wow. Imagine wow by the way, that house is for sale now. The uh, the big uh, Rock and Ronnie Hawkins house is for sale. Yeah, originally listed for something like twelve million. Now it's down to five or something. True, but he probably picked it up for like twenty thousand dollars or something like that. No, I day, I, no? I think he told me it was like oh. two hundred and some odd. And okay. the thing is, you know, um, Stony Lake where it's on is like the uh, it's sort of the Muskoka, like it's. Stony Lake is sort of like the Muskoka of the Kawarthas. It's okay. the, the highbrow, right. the big money place. And I'll tell you, he's got all this acreage sitting on a hill, looking down to all this waterfront that he owns. And uh, wow. it's quite the place. Uh, wow, man. I, I always think about the uh, the band when I think of Rock and Ronnie Hawkins. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's there's a there's an underappreciated uh, musical act, the band. But uh, now Levon's gone. Levon Hill mm-hmm. recently passed. That's too bad. But Ron, Rock and Ronnie Hawkins is still kicking. Speaking of, real quick for people listening and hearing the kick of the jams. Speaking of Rock and Ronnie Hawkins, Ron Hawkins is going to come in and kick out the jams in uh, early September. So if you enjoyed the chat with Ron Hawkins of Lowest of the Low, which we'll hear later in the program as we close out, he's going to come back and kick out some jams. So let's hear another Freddie P jam. Daryl Hall is just vocally 
amazing, the range. And I've always loved, Hollow Notes have always been like a, uh, not like a real true love of music for me, just sort of on the peripheral, but liked all their stuff. But this song, again, it's another one of the songs when it comes on the radio or whenever I hear it. I just love everything about it. It makes you feel good. Yeah, it's a, it's a good song. I mean, it's sort of a sad song. I mean, it was about his girlfriend that he was with, like, for 30 years before they broke up. But, you know, you're speaking of uh, online now and the new media and everything, you know, have you ever seen uh, Live from Daryl's House? I've heard great things from you and Howard, but I haven't actually watched it. Take the time, because he's got this beautiful ranch or farm in upstate New York with a studio in it, and he invites famous people to come and kick out the jams with him. And what's interesting about it, people will come and they will sing his songs, and they will sing, they will sing his songs, and he will sing their songs. Cool. And the spin on Sarah's smile throughout this show over the past few years has been fantastic. How many times have you seen Hall & Oates in concert? Uh, twice. Both times disappointed. I saw them last year when they were here. They were just here again, but last 2016 saw them at the Molson Amphitheater, which is now the Budweiser stage. I was really disappointed. Very lethargic. I didn't like the attitude. The just... It was going through the motions. Very, very disappointed. But I still love I still love their greatest hits and I especially like that song. It reminds me of the Saint was it uh, yeah, St. Louis Blues when Brett Hull and Adam Oates were on the same line together and we had Hull and Oates. You remember that? Oh, that's right. Yeah, Hull and Oates. <laughs> that's right. Hull and Oates. All right. I have to bring it back to sports. By the way, I recently put together a list of all the sports media personalities that were on this podcast, and I just never th- I didn't have you on the list because in really? my mind, I know I didn't think of you as a sports media personality. I think of you as a more, more humble and Fred and stuff, but, uh, somebody, yeah, first, first 10 years, man. I know. Yeah. I know. So somebody pointed out you were missing. So you were added to the list. I want you oh. to know you are on the list of sports. You and Bob McKenzie and Brian Williams, you're all together and Ron McLean and beauties. You belong on that list. So let's hear another Freddie P jam.
Broken Bells, The High Road. The dogs he went on yeah, I don't even know that awful. I, what would this be? Five, six, seven years old? I would. Should I have all the dates of these songs? <laughs> no, anyway. you don't need that. You don't need that. Um, it's a fairly recent, especially on your list. This is by far your most uh, most recent song. Because it's my it's my favorite. Um, it's my favorite new rock song. Meaning, and I know it's not new because it's a few years old. But from this sort of new rock genre, this without a doubt is my favorite and there's recently been some good stuff produced but still this song same thing you can probably catch a theme through this the type of music I love and like tempo and feel and I and it, and when I first heard this I do believe I was where again I was working at in Peterborough and I was driving north one day here here was my goal maybe I've mentioned this to you when I took the job in Peterborough for Chorus to be the program director there, my goal was to come back and be program director of The Edge. That's what I, because I thought I, it doesn't pay enough in Peterborough and it's not where I want to be, but it could be a stepping stone to management and it's Chorus Entertainment. And if I go there, I can go full circle and become program director of The Edge. So I used to listen to The Edge a lot on my drives because I wanted to keep familiar with the radio station just in case the opportunity arose. And when I when this song came on the first time, it was like, wow. I just love this song. Even this part at the end when it kind of... Yeah. It's very melodic. You like a nice melody. You don't want anything that's going to make your ears bleed. You yeah. like uh, beautiful music, if I mm-hmm. will. And the interesting thing, I used to, when I put the music together on The Wolf, we had a new, uh, a current category where new rock music would come out. When I say new rock, I don't mean new rock in the edge sense. I mean like rock. Like a new cold, cold new. play song or something. like Or, or no, whatever, or, a new... Okay. The Arkells or something. Whatever. Okay. And this was on the new rock list, and I really liked it. And I made the bold move of putting this on The Wolf. And I got the typical reaction it was people that were open-minded, people in Peterborough that, you know, sort of the new generation opening the new restaurants and the funky stuff. I actually got calls to the station going, wow, th- that song sounds so good in The Wolf. Yeah. And then I had the old redneck guard phoning, what the fuck is that shit? And uh, ultimately, I did get in a little bit of trouble for adding it to The Wolf. But wow. It's a song that I like. You know what they say when you program a radio station, you should never do it on personal taste. To this one, I did a bit because I just thought it was a good song. And those stations like that, The Wolf, uh, they if I remember, like those types of stations, they really do like, uh, they, they still play like Back in Black. Like, like they have these staples of like these classic rock songs that you, they kind of are ne- sort of don't leave the uh, yeah, rotation. When I was uh, there, there was like a 650 song universe. And uh, it's probably the same and it hasn't changed much since I left in 2011. And a song like that would be mm-hmm. noticeable there because it's uh, yes. modern, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> and I always like the idea. The thing is, you know, a station like The Wolf where you play lots of familiar music. Every song that comes on, you know. And that's a good thing if that's the type of radio station you are. 
But don't you think it's interesting that every so often that you're sort of, something's thrown at you a bit different? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, a lot of people didn't buy into the philosophy there. (laughs) All right, let's hear your ninth jam. Redbone, come and get your love. The reason I like this song is almost as much visual. Remember, I don't know, maybe you're too old for this. It used to be called the Saturday Night Special. Something like that on NBC. Uh, too young, too young, I mean. Oh, what did I yeah. say? Too old? Too yeah. young. Yeah, I think too- so. I don't remember that. It's called the Saturday Night Special. And they would have musical acts, comedy acts on and everything. And the first time I ever heard this song, it was Redbone. And this was a band of Native Americans. And I heard the song and I just loved it. And I don't have a lot to say other than I just think it's a fun song that I've always enjoyed. And the little, just the chorus and everything is fun. And if you were to call me, Mike, it's my ringtone, this song. Well, I have to ask you, do you have Netflix? Yes. There is a, uh, it's a cartoon by Bill Burr, you know the comedian yes. Bill Burr, called F is for Family. Right. Which I, I enjoy this, and it takes place in the 70s. Okay. You'd love it, I think. Be- and this is the theme song. And Get this, out. So it's making a comeback, yeah. Get out. And I, I haven't seen this yet, but somebody told me this song is really popular with kids today because of, uh, oh crap, what is the popular superhero movie with the raccoon? And the tree trunk and holy smokes! I'm gonna. I don't. No, no, this is gonna kill you're me. You're asking the wrong guy. No, give me a second. Although I do have a five-year-old grandson. <laughs> no, this is uh, too old for that. But uh, hold on, I am not gonna let this pass here. Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't know why oh, okay. I forgot that name. So right. Apparently, this is on the soundtrack of the second uh, movie, the, the sequel, Guardians of the Galaxy Part 2. So I think this song is uh, making a bit of a comeback. Well, it's just a fun little song. Oh, yeah, it's just a, just a fun little rock song. And it's very 70s. Like, yep. uh, I don't remember much of the 70s, but mm-hmm. I, when I hear it, I'm back in the mm-hmm. 70s. Because at least I was there for half of it anyway. Cool. And as I say, yeah, it's my ringtone. I want you to give it a shot, uh, F is for Family, because uh, I think it's uh, just sitting there on Netflix waiting for you, and we'll start with that track. Yeah, if he's chosen the song, I'll probably like it. And he's a funny guy, that Bill Burr. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. like a lot of stand-up comics, uh, but he's one that makes me laugh. So Mm -hmm. uh, he's in an exclusive club. Freddie P., are you ready to hear your last jam? 
Yes, sir. Let's do it up. Marley and the Whalers, Chamin. You know, I, I've made it quite clear. I don't care for Led Zeppelin. It's like, hey, if you love them, super. And ACDC, sorry, I just don't get it. I, I, I don't. I try. And I, I'm just amazed when I'm in a room, like a bar or something, and ACD comes, ACDC comes on, the place goes crazy. And I mean, it's, it's wonderful. It ca- it captures the imagination of so many. It does nothing for me other than aggravate me. To me, it's noise. And, you know, I love the Beatles, but I have actually met people that say, I don't get the Beatles thing. I don't like the Beatles. And on and on. And maybe any one of the artists today, people like them, and people there's people that don't like them. I've never met anybody that doesn't like this guy. Have you? I have not. It's just... You, t- you talk about universal, all-encompassing, invite-you-in music. And glo- I mean, globally, too. It's, uh, globally. The, uh, the entire world enjoys Bob Marley music. Now tell me, regardless of your mood, how this song wouldn't put you in a good mood. And, and listen, it's, yeah. it's, it's, the, sh- the shit is played out of it. You hear it everywhere at resorts and at bar, everywhere. And the thing is almost bordering on, okay, okay, but... That album, Legend by Bob Marley, it's just unbelievable. And, and again, this song, to me, epitomizes Bob Marley and epitomizes what reggae is and can be. And uh, it had to be on my list. He, It's hard to, even, uh, to speak about how big a deal Bob Marley is throughout the world. I mean, and he was 40, I think, when he passed. 36. Is that right? Yeah. 1980 or so, I'm thinking. Yeah, and he, he, had, he got um, sort of like uh, gonorrhea, or gonorrhea, gangrene in his toe and thought he could fix it herbally and then but I turned it was, into uh, cancer. I, I thought it was cancer in the toe that he thought yeah. he could treat herbally and then it yeah. spread and they ended up yeah. brain cancer yeah. and done. But it yeah. started, yeah, okay, yeah. But I think it started as some other thing and then became cancer, whatever. Whatever the story is, he was 36 years old. And, you know, he probably, it was only his toe, probably could have saved himself. And maybe, can you imagine another 30-some-odd years of Bob Marley music, how great that would have been? Now, I find those 
mind thoughts, those are frustrating to me because it mm-hmm. it's almost hurts to wonder like what would they have done, what different things would they have tried, yeah. like like it. it it, it it almost it's uh, aggravating to consider the fact that we could have had you know Jimi Hendrix for example I always wonder like a guy like Jimi Hendrix mm-hmm. he was 27 when he died like what was he gonna do next where was he gonna go in 10 years from then like we'll never know what a genius Kurt Cobain the list goes on all uh, in- Amy Winehouse I love you know there was so much other music I could have put on here uh, like people might think you know with the CFMY roots where's Tragically Hip. I love Tragically Hip, but you know, Bob Cajun might crack this list for because I'm I go up north and I just that's a wonderful song. Or, um, I mean, so many other Amy Winehouse because I, I just absolutely adore her. Adele, I love, but um, you can't you couldn't put it all here. It's tough to it's yeah. tough to whittle it down mm-hmm. to 10. Uh, just glancing at your list, I see we only have the one Canadian act. Uh, now, there is no, there's no CanCon regulation here, so you didn't need a Canadian yeah. act, but the Bare Naked Ladies are here, and it's, it's good to see some, uh, some uh, local representation. But this is a solid list, and Fred, I thoroughly enjoyed not only hearing your 10 tracks, but hearing you talk about why you love them. And well, I thank you. I mean, I, you know, it's, all, it's a bit embarrassing, again, where I've said this a million times. Music is very subjective. Some people like stuff and they don't like stuff. And I sit here and indulge you for, or you indulge me for an hour and a half. I hope people like it. People, whether they love the songs or not, they're going to love hearing you talk about it. And I think that's the uh, the key here. Mm-hmm. Is that, uh, let's hear what Freddie P, uh, why Freddie P loves Sarah's smile and isn't she lovely and lovers in a dangerous time. Great tracks. Kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight, my friend. We'll try to get you and Howard back maybe for the 300th episode. How does that sound? That sounds great, Michael. Anything for you. I'm Toronto Mike. I produce Humble and Fred. If you want to hear more of me, I host a podcast called Toronto Miked. If you go to torontomike.com and click Notable Guests at the very top, you can cherry pick an episode and just check it out, see what you think. There are plenty of Humble and Fred episodes to choose from. Thanks for listening. Peace and love. This best of episode of Humble and Fred was proudly brought to you by Bodog, The Retirement Sherpa, The Chambers Plan, GoDaddy, Aaron Ventures, EVNet.ca, and Kelsey's. I am most definitely not Dan Duran. <laughs>